Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Just imagine you are a guy who thinks that everyone loves you. Everyone loves you. You've had your whole life set out for you. Everywhere you go, people fawn all over you. You travel the world. You get adoration from fans. You're in politics, but people treat you like you're a rock star. You're invited to speak to a foreign parliament. You go and you think, wow, everyone around the world wants to cling to my every word. And then it becomes just a laundry list of people who hate you. That is Justin Trudeau's latest trip to Europe. He's in Europe right now. He's been doing the rounds in Brussels. He's been chatting with people in NATO, the president of the European Commission. He gave an address to the European Parliament. And obviously, a lot of the people there were quite pleased to see him. They applauded him. They cheered. I, I don't want to seem like I don't want it to seem like everyone there booed him. But a lot did. A lot did. There was one MP from Romania who just didn't even go. He just decided uh, this is not at all something that I want to do. He, uh, his name is Christian Terhas. Terhas. I have a Romanian colleague who's probably screaming at me right now at my uh, horrible pronunciation of a Romanian name. But he wrote on Facebook, I refuse to validate the imposition of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who gave a speech in front of the European Parliament, the reason why I was not in the hall when he spoke. You can't come to teach Putin democracy lessons when you pass with horse hoofs over your own citizens who demand that their fundamental rights be respected. The difference between democracy and tyranny is not given by the geographical location of political leaders, but by the values that this promotes. This is a, a tremendously important point. He says the West is not a space of freedom as a geographical place, but as a civilization. So he's saying you can't be arrogant and just assume because you're a, a Western liberal country that you can lecture other people about how to be liberal and how to be democracies. That was from Christian Terhas, and there was another member of the European Parliament from Croatia who had very harsh words. I, I won't play it because his speech was in Croatian, which is, uh, for me, even uh, less uh, something, something that I'm even less capable of understanding than Romanian. But the translated version is that under your quasi-liberal boot, Canada has become a symbol of civil rights violations. The methods we have witnessed may be liberal to you, but to many citizens around the world, it seemed like a dictatorship of the worst kind. That was Croatian member of the European Parliament, Mislav Kolakusic. And then there was this speech from a German legislator, a German member of the European Parliament, who had no love whatsoever for Justin Trudeau, Christine Anderson, who called him a disgrace to democracy. Take a look. It would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a Prime Minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. 
Preach it, sister. And she, as you heard at the end there, Christine Anderson, the German MEP, was getting applause. Now, again, I don't know who these people are. I don't follow the ins and outs of the European Parliament. I have two friends who, incidentally, are, are members of the European Parliament. Those three uh, do not include the ones that I know. But certainly when Justin Trudeau goes there and he's used to getting the red carpet treatment, the hero's welcome, the rock star accolades, and he goes there and they're saying, uh, what the heck is your problem? You think that you can be the one that preaches and lectures and pontificates about liberalism, about democracy, about freedom, look in the mirror. And what Ms. Anderson was saying there is that you should be here uh, as a leader who's committed human rights abuses answering our questions, not just speaking as though we have something to learn from you. And that is a, a huge point. I mean, Justin Trudeau's whole foreign policy from the time he was elected was that Canada was back. The uh, implication there was that under Stephen Harper, no one respected Canada. And under Justin Trudeau, we're now a player on the world stage. And just like at the G7 in London a year or so back when he was trying to solve the Northern Ireland crisis and no one wanted to listen to him, here he is now trying to lecture Europeans about democracy when Europeans have been incidentally far more susceptible or uh, far more receptive rather to protest movements Europeans have a much more liberal attitude towards peaceful protest which is why in a lot of European countries even ones that had very strict COVID measures you also had very robust protest movements that were forming to combat those things but I, I want to play a clip from Justin Trudeau's speech before the European Parliament to understand why that anger was there. Because you may look at these people and say, oh, they're just cranks. They weren't going to be happy. They're just right-wingers. I, I don't care. You can do whatever name-calling makes you feel better. But Justin Trudeau went there and he doubled down on all of his maligning of the Freedom Convoy protest, because that's what all of these MEPs are bringing up. His treatment of peaceful truckers and trucker protesters that descended on Ottawa up until just over a month ago. And what he's doing is saying that these people were manipulating others. Take a look. This is from Justin Trudeau's own words, how he views those protesters. No humility whatsoever, even now. These are anxious times. And people are looking for leadership and solutions. Unfortunately, we're seeing a rise in cynical populists who are trying to exploit these anxieties. They pretend to have easy solutions that play on people's fears. Even in Canada, where 90% of people are vaccinated, and our motto as a country is peace, order, and good government. We saw anti-vaccine and anti-government protests devolve into illegal occupations of our communities and blockades of our borders. The leaders of those convoys were effective in turning citizens with real anxieties against the system best suited to allay those concerns. The system best suited to deal with those concerns. So he's saying, how dare you protest government when you don't like vaccine mandates because government is the body that can solve your frustrations and ease your frustrations with vaccine mandates. Again, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how he gets around to that conclusion, but oh, they're anti-vaccine protesters, they're anti-government protesters. I, I think they were anti this government. 
They were anti this government. And you know what? I don't think they have exactly a position that you could say is inherently off base just because they are protesting this government. But that doesn't mean that they were preying on the vulnerable and preying on insecurities. No, it was a grassroots movement. The convoy protesters were a reflection of anxieties, not with the COVID situation, but with government's response to it. And how dare Justin Trudeau get up there? And, and now, again, I want to just understand, let's go back to the Dixie Chicks here. I don't know if anyone has ever compared Justin Trudeau to the Dixie Chicks. Actually, they changed their name, didn't they? Aren't they just now? Can one of my producers tell me, what are the Dixie Chicks called now? Are they just called the Chicks? We're going we're gonna to get to the bottom of this. We're going to do like a whole investigative series in what the Dixie Chicks are called. But uh, Justin Trudeau and the, the artist formerly known, uh, they're called the Chicks, Sean says. Okay, so Justin Trudeau is like the Chicks, and here's why. Because when the Dixie Chicks went over and started trashing uh, George W. Bush, one of the things that people found the most offensive about it was that they were doing it abroad in that they were not presenting United Front. Now, again, I, I felt they got a raw deal. They, they misjudged their audience, but but that was the anger, is that, is that how dare you go and trash this country overseas? Because what Justin Trudeau is doing there, he's taking his show on the road. What he used to do when he was in Ottawa having press conferences, maligning the trucker protesters, maligning the unvaccinated, calling them Nazis, all of that. I mean, I'm not going to defend it whatsoever, but there's, there's one thing to do when you're talking about a domestic audience. Now he's going overseas and continuing that slander. He's continuing the slander. He, he's saying these people are manipulative. These people are idiots. They're anti-vaccine. When of the, the three core organizers, incidentally, of the convoy, two of them were fully vaccinated. They were anti-vaccine mandate. They were not anti-government in the sense that they were anarchists. They were anti-Justin Trudeau's government's approach to COVID. But it's amazing how he just tries to reduce it to the most simplistic conclusion possible to make himself the hero of the story. So when he goes over to Europe and he starts talking about those truckers, it shows he learned absolutely nothing. And why does he need to be hum why does he need to show humility here? Why does he need to show humility? He's got a majority government now basically because he has the backing of the NDP. He he's got carte blanche. He's got the blank check. So in in Justin Trudeau's eyes he won. He doesn't actually need to do all that much because he's in power until 2025. It doesn't matter if the conservatives want to start talking about these issues. It doesn't matter if the conservatives have finally found a backbone when it comes to vaccine mandates. Justin Trudeau has gotten what he wants, what he wanted in September when he called that early election. So I suspect we're going to see a heck of a lot more of this. He'll double and triple down on the very policies that caused that convoy to be so forceful and so vocal. And I don't mean forceful in a violent sense. I mean forceful in its rhetoric, forceful in its dedication and its passion to this. I, I want to talk about the mandate situation in Canada because there, there's something in this that's very revealing. When the convoy was happening and we started seeing provinces lifting this restriction and that restriction, the mask mandate in Alberta, Ontario is now mask-free. And I realized I hadn't actually enjoyed it. We went mask-free in Ontario on Monday and I don't think I did anything because I just live a very boring life at times. So I, I hadn't actually been anywhere for a couple of days to in, enjoy the, the official mask freedom. But the reason I, I bring that up is that 
all of these changes that were taking place, people were looking at and saying, well, this isn't the convoy. This was happening anyway. And, and I've already talked in the past about how I, I think the convoy effect was definitely real. But the reason I bring this up now is that there was a lot of pushback to the convoy asking them, why are you focused on federal politics and Parliament Hill and Justin Trudeau when all these mandates and all these restrictions are provincial? And the, the response to that was that they're all integrated. There are federal restrictions, there are provincial restrictions, and even the holdout provinces like BC are, are lifting their provincial restrictions. What's left? It's the federal mandates. It's the federal vaccine mandate for travel, for quarantine, for testing, the federal vaccine mandate for air travel, the federal vaccine mandate to work for the public sector, to keep your job. If you're an unvaccinated public servant right now, you are still on unpaid leave or you've potentially be, been terminated. And the government is giving no indication, zero indication whatsoever of when that's going to change. Take a look. I wanted to play this on the previous show and I didn't get around to it. This is Jean-Yves Duclos unable to give a very clear answer to when life is going back to normal by the federal government's standards. We would all like to know by what time COVID-19 will end. And in fact, we would all like COVID-19 to have disappeared a long time ago. The truth is that COVID-19 is still here in Canada and certainly outside of Canada. And that's what I think we should be mindful, mindful of as in the way forward. We will want to apply the least disruptive measures in order to protect the health and safety of Canadians. And the conversation will evolve as the situation evolves. If you understood that, I have a job for you. I need you to translate uh, liberal minister speak to plain English. That's not a French joke. That's a, a liberal minister joke, by the way. I don't want all the I don't want the accusations of francophobia. No, that that's liberal phobia. That's not francophobia. But uh, he's basically not able to give a clear answer. Just oh yeah, everyone wants to get back to normal. We want to be the least disruptive. Really? It seems like what you're doing now is, is pretty darn disruptive. Banning people from getting on airplanes, from getting on trains, from having jobs. Setting the tone that this is allowed. Setting the tone that this is acceptable. That this is a normal way to function in society. I mentioned last week or two weeks ago, British Airways went mask-free on, on its airplanes. And in the U.S., this is now a big thing as well. You've got U.S. air carriers that are saying that the second Joe Biden lets us not mandate masks, masks are gone on our planes. This is what, there's one story in particular. Uh, this one's in the LA Times. The airlines are pushing Biden. The airlines are saying to Joe Biden, we want you to drop the mask mandate for air travel because they know that normalcy is never going to come if people have to cover their faces. No one is ever going to feel normal when they have to wear a mask. And the beleaguered tourism sector is not going to fully recover unless it feels normal to travel. And the mask is a symbol of the pandemic and the unendingness of the pandemic, to make up a word. The mask is a symbol of it. The mask is a symbol of compliance, which is why the mask has become like the greatest cultural artifact of the generation. You get people that are saying, you know, make sure to wear your mask so you tell people the pandemic is not over. They're not even saying that the mask is about protecting them anymore. They're saying they want to be seen wearing it. What was it in Mean Girls on Wednesdays we wear pink? Now it's on days that end in Y's we wear masks. This is the statement. This is the fashion item of 2022. If you want to signal your virtue, and my view on this is do what you want. 
I've never been opposed to masks. I've been opposed to mask mandates. I've never been opposed to vaccines. I've been opposed to vaccine mandates. I've never been opposed to businesses making decisions for themselves. I'm opposed to mandating it. And, and Trudeau has conflated all of those, which is why he gets up there in front of the European Parliament and starts saying that, oh, these are just a bunch of anti-vaccine, anti-government protesters. Because he has a zero tolerance level for dissent, zero tolerance level for pushback and criticism of his own government. And, and this isn't going to go away. This is absolutely not going to go away. And the reason I bring up all of these things here is so that we understand how we are not out of the woods just yet. Some of the most locked down jurisdictions in the world are beating Canada to reopening. New Zealand is a great example of this. New Zealand is the home of COVID zero insanity. New Zealand is the country that locked down for like a dozen cases. New Zealand is the country that was like Australia, like the UK, trying to prohibit people from doing very basic things like going outside at certain points, especially in, in some parts of the country. New Zealand is going mandate free now. Well, in Canada, you cannot get on an airplane unless you are vaccinated. You can't get on a train unless you're vaccinated. You can't work for Canada Post unless you're vaccinated. And there are other ex examples of this. I, I just published a story yesterday about Sun Life Financial. I had a number of Sun Life employees separate from one another reach out to me and, and tell me that Sun Life had imposed a vaccine mandate that was very broad. They used to have one going back to the summer that gave employees an alternative uh, that they could do if they were not vaccinated, which was rapid testing. And now they're getting rid of that. So if you work in an office, if you work in a, a Sun Life financial center, you have to be fully vaccinated or you're going to be placed on unpaid leave and uh, essentially fired. And again, my position on this, which I, I know a lot of you disagree with, but my position is that private companies should be able to make their own decisions, but no one should be celebrating those decisions. No one should be celebrating the, the culture and climate that the federal government is setting. Because again, if you are a Sun Life and anyone wants to get mad at you about this, you can say, well, listen, I mean, our policy is what the federal government's policy is. So, so the federal government is very much setting the tone here. When they say masks on airplanes, they're saying that, you know, it's not safe to get back to normal. So other people take their cue from that. When they say that you can't work for the federal public service unless you're vaccinated, other companies are going to say, well, if the federal, I mean, this is going to sound crazy to some of you, but there are some people out there that think, well, if the federal government is doing that, it must be the right thing to do. I know, I know it sounds like a joke, but believe it or not, this government still has a, a level of legitimacy and authority to some people. So that's the direction that people go with this. And, and again, this isn't going to end unless people start taking a stand. And that's exactly what the convoy was. And the convoy did move the needle. The convoy absolutely moved the needle. Again, we have a Conservative Party of Canada right now where most of the leadership candidates are very unequivocal that they are against vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. The interim leader is taking a harsher and firmer position on this than the previous leader, than Aaron O'Toole did. But as we've seen in the last couple of days with the Liberals and NDP uh, combining forces here, it doesn't really stop them from having that majority level of influence. There, there's a question here that Emma writes, which is a very good one. She says, Andrew, what do you think comes next after the pandemic is over? Will politicians be held accountable? This is a huge question. 
And, and I don't have the answer. I, I think that if we do get what the liberals have said we're going to get, which is a period of the next three years uninterrupted with no election, then for a lot of people, they will just move on. COVID will be, we hope, a distant memory by 2025. I mean, Ontario is a great example of this. There's an Ontario election coming up in about two and a half months, which I, I think is very significantly driving the lifting of restrictions now, because I, I don't think Doug Ford could win an election all that easily if he were still dealing with a province that had mask mandates or vaccine passports. So he needs to be able to do the mission accomplished thing and say, we won, we beat COVID, and then the restrictions can come back in the fall. And at this point, I, I'm not optimistic that they won't in some form, either federally or provincially, in the fall or the winter, even if there's a bad flu. doesn't even need to be COVID. We could have a bad flu season, and I would not be surprised if the vaccine passports come back, if the mask mandates come back, if two weeks to flatten the curve comes back, all of that. Because what these governments have found is that a lot of people tend to welcome that. So people showing that they aren't actually welcoming that is important. And, and I understand the powerlessness. I understand the powerlessness. I, I'm going to have an interview coming out tomorrow with conservative leadership candidate Mark Dalton. And the reason I, I mention it is because I, I just recorded it before I, I did this show. He, he wasn't able to come on live. And, and one of the things he's advocating is a COVID review. He wants a full review, a full inquiry into the pandemic, not just the pandemic itself, but the government's response to it. And I think that that is an important thing here. Now, royal commissions, commissions, inquiries, investigations, I mean, these things are limited in scope because they're only as powerful as a government's willingness to abide by them, of a government's willingness or interest in their results. And with the Liberal NDP coalition, they have now stacked the deck so they can control any committee. Just like the Emergencies Act committee, there's going to be a committee investigating the use of the Emergencies Act. But the Liberals and NDP are working together on it, and they have control of it. So, I mean, the Conservatives, the Bloc Québécois can, you know, wave their hands in the air and say, but, 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 but ultimately there's no need for the Liberals to go along with it. The only hope of any accountability there is going to be in the courts. And if you've been a listener or viewer of the show for a long time, you know I have a, a fairly pessimistic view of the Canadian judiciary and of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, not because I, I don't fundamentally agree with the values, but because a constitution is only as good as the mechanisms that enforce it. And our government has found courts that are far too deferential for my liking, but great for governments, when it comes to giving them the latitude to break your charter rights, especially in the COVID era. So I obviously support the legal challenges from the Canadian Constitution Foundation, from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, all of these challenges into the Emergencies Act. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is challenging the federal air travel mandate. A lot of these things, I mean, these, these lawsuits are all good. The government will be forced to defend themselves. But it won't matter if the fundamental ethic of the government to respect freedom, to respect choice, isn't there. And, and there is no accountability unless voters in 2025 refuse to forget. If voters in 2025 say, hang on, I, I know what you did. I remember the Emergencies Act. I remember your crackdown on peaceful protesters. I remember when you went to Europe and started just bashing and trashing those peaceful protesters. I remember all of that, and I'm not going to vote you back in. And again, I'm not telling people how to vote, but I, I'm saying that if you are uh, angered or frustrated or dejected, whatever the feeling is, you can't lose that emotion going into the 2025 election just because a few years will have passed by then. 
And that, I think, is the very important point of all of this. I, I do want to talk a, a little bit about uh, another story that emerged from the convoy here, because I, I've seen this circulating a fair bit. There's a, a gentleman by the name, and I, I don't know him, I've never met him, and I had never heard of him until today, but Martin Joseph Engelhart, who is from Hope, British Columbia, and he was a protester in the Freedom Convoy. And there's a, a CBC story of him saying he regrets going. And the reason he regrets going is because he spent his life savings to support it. And this story is circulating, uh, talking about how uh, terrible the Freedom Convoy organizers were. And it seems to suggest, or when people read it, they seem to be taking from it that someone was making off with, with huge amounts of money from the uh, Freedom Convoy's organizing team. And I, I read through the story, and, and the story is actually pointing the blame at government, or should be. It should be pointing the blame at government. So here's the, the too long, didn't read version. So he has lost $13,000 because he was buying fuel for people. He was buying food for people. He was giving money to other people there on the promise that he was going to be reimbursed from all of the millions of dollars that were being donated uh, through GoFundMe and later Give, Send, Go, and in, in some cases in cash. And CBC has seen this. They've seen his bank statements. He was e-transferring hundreds of dollars here and taking ATM withdrawals and buying stuff from truck stops and all of that. And it was like 13000 worth. And then he went back home and apparently he had a, a political disagreement with his landlord, so he got evicted from his home. That's not really the convoy's fault, but it just shows that this guy has had a really raw deal in the last little while, and he's blaming the convoy. And people are saying, why wasn't he reimbursed? I'm like, well, the answer to why he wasn't reimbursed is pretty obvious because the government was freezing pretty much every, not pretty much, the government tried to freeze every single avenue of funding for the convoy. So if they were going to reimburse him through give, send, go money, they couldn't because the government prohibited give, send, go money. If they were going to reimburse him through go, go send me money, they couldn't because the city of Ottawa lobbied GoFundMe to cancel the fundraiser and refund all the donations. If they were going to even reimburse him through crypto accounts, well, they couldn't do that because the court managed to get crypto wallets frozen. The only money that was uh, donated through these official channels that ever got released to the convoy was $1 million that was released from the early days of the Go Send Me account. And when that money got into the TD bank account for the convoy, TD froze it and then handed it over to the Ontario court as a connection to that class action, I think it was. Or it might have been the class action, it might have been the Ontario government's freezing of it. But there was some legal action where, where the organizers have said they were not able to get one single dollar through those channels to the truckers. That's not the fault of them. That is the fault of the government. That is the fault of the government for making it so that these lawfully given donations, these lawfully given donations could not make it to the peaceful protesters that were relying on them. And, and I feel terrible for this guy because he had a good heart. He was saying, you know what? I trust these people. I want to help these people. Not everyone had $13,000 of savings. So he, people needed fuel. People needed food. He said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And, and maybe he was too trusting. Some people are trying to jump up and down and mock the guy saying, well, serves you right. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I think it's disgusting. And I, I think that this is something that we can squarely blame, place the blame on the government for. Not the convoy and not the people. But, but this is exactly the attitude. 
People are now rejoicing in this man feeling like he's in a financial hole from which he's never going to get out. Because you have rhetoric from people like Justin Trudeau in Europe, in Ottawa, anywhere. Rhetoric from people like Justin Trudeau that says, you know, how dare these people, how dare these people uh, protest vaccine mandates? How dare these people protest my government? Who, who do they think they are? Oh, they're just anti-government, they're anti-vaccine. No. The fact that a guy was willing to drive from Hope, British Columbia to Ottawa and spend $13,000 of his money, regardless of whether he thought he was going to get reimbursed or not, is because he was that motivated by it. The, the story that he had, why he joined the convoy, he says he's not political. He, he doesn't even know if he agrees with all the convoy, but why he was there is because he couldn't go to someone's funeral during COVID. That was for him the final straw. That was the last straw for him. Uh, CJ writes, uh, is he allowed to raise money? I have no idea. I mean, obviously, when the CBC story came out, there may be a few people that want to give him some support, but everyone would be so terrified now. He's a guy who, by his own admission, was a trucker at the convoy. If he were going to say, I'm accepting e-transfers, everyone's going to be terrified that their accounts are going to get frozen if they dare donate to him. Because I want to read a line from this story here, which I, I'm trying to do a bit more digging into. Englehart said he's unable to access his account because it remains frozen. More than 250 accounts linked to people and businesses involved in the convoy protests were frozen after the Emergencies Act was invoked. It is March 24th. The Emergencies Act was lifted, I believe, on February 23rd, so one month and one day ago. The government said that all of the frozen accounts have now been unfrozen, yet this guy says his bank accounts are still frozen more than a month after the Emergencies Act was lifted, uh, basically five, six weeks almost from when the convoy ended. And he's saying, his, and again, I can't verify it. This is CBC's reporting. So take from it what you will. But that's the situation. There are still accounts frozen. And this guy wasn't an organizer. This is just some guy. He was a supporter. And I guess the bank thought he was a heavyweight because he was transferring money back and forth, trying to get support to truckers. So that $13,000 made them think that he was one of those big fish that they wanted to go after in the crowd of 250. So if you read stories like this, and I'm sure there are others, if you know of anyone in this boat, please let me know. I, I want to hear their stories. I want to tell their stories. This is the fault of the government. This is not the fault of the convoy. This is not the fault of the people who supported the convoy. This is a reflection of how the government took an approach that had nothing to do with making the streets of Ottawa safe, that had nothing to do with protecting critical infrastructure. It had everything to do with punishing political dissenters. We've got to end things there. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of The Andrew Lawton Show, an interview with conservative leadership candidate Mark Dalton, and then a whole host of new shows next week. Stay tuned. We'll talk to you soon, folks. Thank you. God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.